This is Docs in the Box podcast. A podcast about medicine, muscles, and more through the eyes of two physiatrists. I'm Dr. Amy West. And I'm Dr. Matthew Cowling. Docs in the Box podcast here with Tom Siskron, a good friend of uh, Amy West and myself. Uh, Tom is a urologist in Shreveport, Louisiana, and one of the founders of CrossFit Medicus One. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Good to be here. And founding member of the squad, right? That's right. Tom's part of our crew. Part of the crew, the Madison crew. Congrats. I'm excited to see y'all getting the word out. We're excited. You know, we're just trying to get all our friends on here who are doing interesting things and help spread the word about what they're doing. So you're kind of the perfect fit for that. You're like the the OG of of crossfitting doctors, so... Well, one of, one of the few. There's several that are before me, me and Ken, but, you know, Ken and I tried to do a podcast about a year ago, I guess, and just so much time and, you know, life gets in the way and you got so many other things to do that to, to keep it up and to have content that's worth listening to is uh, is tough. So I congratulate y'all. I know what undertaking you're, you're or what big of undertaking you're doing. So That's what quarantine will do to you. <laughs> and all the things we were like, hmm, we only had time to do this. Okay, boom, let's make it happen. Yeah. So it's it's great. It, it, we need to start getting the message out, mainly to more docs. Um, it's it's amazing. I, uh, Jeff was just telling me um, today about a doctor here in town who he went to see a dermatologist and told him, yeah, I've been reading Tom's articles because I'm, I'm a president of our local medical society this year. So... I've been using my monthly um, articles to really hammer home uh, what a shitty job. I'm sorry, can I cuss on y'all's podcast? Oh, yeah, go for it. What a shitty job we're doing. Um, I thought I was with Sevon for a while. Um, You know, we're we're still teaching the um, low-fat, eat healthy healthy grains um, diet recommendations that have gotten us a quadrupling of the, the incidence of diabetes in the last 40 years. And it, it drives me crazy. And that doctor told him, said, yeah, I've been reading Tom's articles, but I don't know. I just don't, I don't agree with all that stuff. I was like, well, what do you agree with? The fact that, you know, pre-1980, there was no such thing as fatty liver disease in children. And now it's rampant, you know, 30% of children are morbidly obese. And, you know, maybe not morbidly, but obese for sure. And the incidence of diabetes is quadrupled. And, you know, this new COVID thing's perfect example. I, I uh, went through all 144 deaths from Caddo Parish, the first 144. We're up to about 180 now. But out of the first 144 deaths, I did a chart review on them, all the ones that I could. There were about five that I couldn't find any info on. And 60% of them have diabetes. And, and that's not reported correctly on the death certificates because our data that came out of Caddo Parish was 40%. But if you actually open their charts, 60% have diabetes. So that makes me question all this national data. You know, and we know that from the people who come to our offices. You say, oh, no, I don't have any problems. I don't have diabetes. But you look at their sugars and it'll be fasting 115. Or- yeah, or I don't take any medications uh, other than the insulin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have high blood pressure. Well, your blood pressure today in the office is 140 over 90. I think maybe you have high blood pressure. So, you know, the incidence of blood pressure on our first 144 deaths was 85%. And, of course, that's, the, that's just the sentinel um, sign uh, for, for metabolic disease. Everybody with metabolic disease has that. And uh, we had an average of four-point-something serious comorbidities per death. And the really interesting thing is the morbid obesity. Our average BMI of the first 144 deaths was 35. That's where morbid obesity starts, 35. And as the decades went from the 90s to 80s, 70s on down, it got heavier and heavier as you get younger and younger. So the average BMI for in your, the one person who died in their 20s was 65. The average for the people in their 30s was, uh, was 60. For their 40s, it was 55. I mean, so... And 75 to 80% of those young people had diabetes. So honest to God, truth, the the people who are dying from this, at least in Caddo Parish, and I bet you it extrapolates to the rest of this country for sure and probably the rest of the world, 
are obese, morbidly obese diabetics make up the majority of the people dying from this disease, followed by the, the critically ill, chronically ill, old. And that also showed out in the data I thought was really interesting is that if you chart their BMI and their age chronologically by death, the, 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 uh, the scatter charts diverge such that it was the young, morbidly obese who died first. And only afterwards did we find that the thin, old people died. And I believe that's probably because the young, morbidly obese were out in the community. They were catching it. You know, they're working. They're going to, to do whatever. Um, the older people who were dying were the ones who were in the nursing homes who uh, got brought the disease by the other people. So it's just, that's, it's just really putting the spotlight on, on Greg's message and CrossFit Health's message that our health matters. And... You know, it, we're, we're killing ourselves with this processed food diet and focusing on low fat, adding grains because everybody thinks that, you know, I, I eat uh, frosted flakes for, for breakfast. That's healthy for me, right? There's no fat in that. And it's just, it's just so frustrating. But. Tom, I think it's super interesting. I've been following um, a lot of the podcasts you've been on lately and the stuff you've been putting out there. And I couldn't agree more. I think one thing we can all agree on is that, you know, you're a urologist, Amy and I are physiatrists, but it's the job of every physician to focus on prevention, primary prevention with the patients. Um, can you talk a little bit about when you decided to start giving patients education as a urologist to help them turn their life around? This is really something that's been um, in my medical roots forever. I mean, uh, I was in the Air Force for four years. I don't know if y'all knew that, but right out of med school, um, I was HPSP scholarship for med school. And so I served four years in the Air Force after my internship. And when I was in Utah, I had uh, a patient who I got really, really close with and really tried to help. He was 650 pounds. And he came to me for abscesses, micro abscesses that he was getting. And I wasn't even a urologist at the time, but they were in his genital area, which most morbidly obese men get these at one point or another. Um, but he was getting these micro abscesses and his legs were looked like elephant trunks and he had pitting edema and just weeping skin. I mean, just what you would imagine from a 650 pound man. And he broke down in my office one day crying. He said, I just, I don't know what to do. And I said, I, he said, I've got a four-year-old son, and all I can do to play with him is I, I get down on the ground and let him crawl over me. And that just broke my heart. You know, he, he lays on his back and lets his son crawl back and forth across him like he's a mountain, and that's how he plays with his son. And then he said he had to have someone help him get off the floor. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm going to help you. Because I was, even back then, I was into working out. You know, I was the... the uh, chest and tries, back and buys type working out, but, you know, uh, I, I was still into working out, and uh, I thought I was eating healthy. I was eating a low-fat diet, and, you know, I, I knew how to lose weight. It was all calories in, calories out, right? You know, what type of food you eat doesn't matter, and that's what we were taught in med school. Very, And I'm not saying this was some organized nutrition course either, because you, you both know that we didn't get any of that. It's just... We listened to the guy in the long white coat who listened to the guy uh, when he was in a short coat who had a long white coat and on down the line. And it goes all the way back to the 1950s when Ansel Keys was saying fat's bad for you. And so for the last 70 years, we've been preaching that fat is bad for you. And all you got to do is reduce the fat in your diet and watch your calories and you can lose weight. And so I got this guy counting his calories. We were counting his food. And I, I found he was really, really overeating. I thought we were going to make huge success because he was eating five, 6,000 calories a day, drinking a gallon of milk a day, and um, eating for lunch. He said, Doc, I didn't eat much for lunch. And I was just working in an urgent care clinic. So, you know, I was just kind of uh, same-day stuff at the base. And so he was a spouse. But he's like, Doc, I didn't eat much for lunch. I said, all right, well, what did you eat? Let's see your diary. He said, uh, I only had six bratwursts and a glass of milk. And you know, you think of a bratwurst, it's what, about four or five inches long, maybe an inch and a half in diameter. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of food for a 650-pound guy, but we broke down the calories on it, and that one little meal was like 2,500 calories. And, yep. and so in lunch, he had 2,500 calories. And I was like, all right, 
we've found a way to to attack this problem. We're going to do it. And so, you know, you got to know what you got to start reading your calories. And I had him down on a calorie restricted diet just to like 1500 a day. And I said, if you eat 1500 calories a day, and he was eating like a bird for a man his size, and he did lose weight. He lost about 50, 60, 70 pounds somewhere in there, if I'm remembering correctly. Now, this was 20 years ago, literally. But, and then he plateaued and just, you know, he was always binge, binge falling off the wagon. And he was still eating the wrong foods. He was eating high carbohydrate foods. I had him eating cereals. I had him eating grains. I had him eating pasta. And I just, I want to go back and slap my younger self and, and like beat him up in the, in the hallway and say, you know, you could have helped this guy so much better. Um, but, you know, I didn't know any better. And, you know, I'm sure that poor guy's dead by now, 20 years later, because he was, I think he was 35 at the time, maybe 40. So there's no way at 650 pounds he made it into his 60s, but I don't know. Um, but now, you know, through CrossFit Health, and it really was through CrossFit Health, I have had my eyes opened to what the real metabolic machinery is that drives our weight, and it is insulin. You know, you got to get the insulin out of your system if you're going to lose weight because insulin is the master storage hormone. So um, when I started CrossFit in 2012, I was already low-carb myself because I found it in 2008 just because I was getting headaches all the time when I would eat uh, when I wouldn't eat on time. I had a power bar with me all the time, and I had to be eating something every two hours or I got hangry. I got this headache behind my eyeballs. I got... Um, a pit of my stomach hunger pang that just would not go away. And I got grumpy, just like one of those Snickers commercials, you know? And so I had to have something with me all the time, but it was like a bagel or a power bar or, you know, um, rice crispy, rice crispy things with, uh, or rice cakes with peanut butter or, you know, but it was always insulin, 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 insulin. And uh, I was working out a lot. But I, I found uh, Mark Sisson's book in 20, or 2008 and the Primal Blueprint. And that's what just opened my eyes to the fact that, it, hey, stupid, it's insulin. And so once I, I went cold turkey for about six months, and it changed my life. No longer a slave to food. Um, but then after that six months, I started reintroducing things here and there a little bit. And I was probably definitely reduced my carb intake from like 80% of my calories to probably 40%, 50%, which changed my life in and of itself. But for the next four years, I continued to get metabolically unhealthy. And I had the dad bod um, and, uh, you know, my, my cholesterol, not, let me rephrase that because I don't believe cholesterol is bad anymore. My triglyceride to HDL ratio was, was bad. Um, and uh, that's 2012 is when I found CrossFit and I started reading what Greg was putting out there. And about 2014, 15, I really dove deeper and kept watching those videos of his seven buckets of death and, and just went down the rabbit hole. And that's when in 2017, we invited him to talk at, um, uh, in, in Shreveport to Grand Rounds. And um, that's, was that the year I met you, Matt, at, up in that very first CrossFit Health Gathering at the Games? Was that the 2017 or the 2018 yeah. game? No, that was 2017. 2017. Yeah. Um, you were just finishing your, uh, your – or just starting your fellowship, right? No, no. I was in my intern year at Indiana. I drove up that week. Yeah. 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 So um, that's when we we really got into it, and I started reading the, the books, and I've got – you know, a whole stack of books here, 15 books that I've read that actually um, Brian Mulvaney gifted to me. I mean, he changed my life. And um, it's, you know, you, you start reading the real research uh, on nutrition. And just just like Zoe um, Harkham says, I mean, in her presentation, when she's talking about diet, I absolutely love that slide. It comes up and it's just blank. It's a white sheet. And the title says, research um, supporting high carb um, uh, diets, you know, or something like that. And she said, I, it's blank on purpose. There's nothing there. You know, there's no 
really um, well-controlled, randomized studies that prove that fat is bad for you and that carbs are good. So, um, But through that whole process of my own self-change and my self-learning, really, when I go back and every now and then I'll see a chart um, from 2013, 14, 15, and I was already talking to patients in my office uh, about low-carb eating. Uh, but after 2017, it really got ramped up. And now everybody who comes through my office gets a nutrition talk. It's just woven into my talk. Whether you come in for kidney stones, I can link diet to your kidney stones very easily. You come in for ED, I can link diet to your ED very easily. Um, and I did so today. A guy came in for testosterone, low testosterone. Uh, you know, I can give you a shot, but I also want to give you this nugget of information that will possibly change your life and and let you heal yourself rather than relying on me to give you shots. Can I ask you a question about that actually because I, I mean I find as a as a physician and I don't know maybe it, it might be a, a numbers thing also but to actually have the time to really delve into those issues especially when I find most at least a lot of the people that I see are not necessarily open to hearing about nutrition or they say yeah 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 I eat healthy uh, but what's the quick and easy thing? Yeah. So how do you, A, find the time for that, but also how do you kind of get people on board? Well, you know, getting them on board is the hard part, as you know. Yeah. Uh, yes. The time uh, comes with practice, uh, refining your message and the high points. And I also have a handout. I have a one-page, double-sided handout that you can print off of dietdoctor.com. It's called Low Carb for Beginners. Uh, it's a little a little infographic where they have a picture of a bunch of nice whole natural foods. Um, it's got listing of foods you sh can eat, sh foods you should avoid. Um, and then you flip it over and it's got kind of an introduction. It's got their website. And on that piece of paper, I have hand started out. I just scribbled all over it and started making copies of it. But I had so many scribbles on it that it looked junky. So I then went back and I actually typed it in and made a nice formal one where I've got in the margins, typed my own things. I've got um, three movies to watch on Netflix, you know, um, Serial Killers and uh, uh, the case, oh, what's the other one, Sugar or something. Um, sugar, um, I'm forgetting that's the name. Film? Huh? That's, that's Sugar Film? That's Sugar Film, maybe one of them. But yeah, there's three, there's three movies there. Um, I've got five books, The Big Fat Surprise, uh, Why We Get Fat, um, um, the case against sugar, uh, the diabetes code, you know, I've got some books for them to research. And then I've got some websites, including, um, uh, the, uh, the company out of California that we toured their offices. Um, Verda, Verda health. I got Verda health for the diabetics. I say, you need to go look at this and read this research on, um, the keto diet. Although I hate using that word. Now I avoid using keto because it's so negatively charged by so many people. Um, I use, whenever I'm talking to patients, I say whole natural foods. If, if you can't tell what it is that you're putting in your mouth by looking at it, i.e. I'm eating a, a, a piece of broccoli, I'm eating um, you know, a, a piece of asparagus or meat, if it's been changed and processed to the point where someone asks you, what is that you're eating? You say, you know, I don't really know what's in it, but it's good then you know, that's what you got to avoid is the processed foods. Eat whole natural foods. And it's hard not to be in ketosis if you eat non-processed foods. It really is. I'm in ketosis all the time, and I, I do not, I'm not strict about eating, uh, avoiding vegetables or even beans and legumes. I'll eat them sometimes. But once you get the insulin system stable again, it does its job. And you know, if you eat mostly low-carb foods, which we were designed to eat and evolved eating, occasionally when you have high-carb foods, it just churns it through like it's supposed to. And your body never notices it. And you stay in ketosis uh, or very close to it, which is the healthy state. And uh, so long, long answer to your question, but it's, it's through practice. I, I weave it in uh, here and there in all of my talks. I've got that handout, which really helps. And then I say, if you really want to know more about this, I'd love to talk to you more about it, but I think it could really change your life. I can get you off all these medicines. I can fix these issues. 
Um, if you want to come back and talk later, let's make an appointment just for that. And so that then allows me to book a, another visit where we can talk only about that rather than about their ED and, and everything else, testosterone. Yeah. Like what kind, what, I mean, how many, what percentage of people take you up on that? Um, a small percentage. <laughs> um, you know, y'all see when I post, when I post pictures to my CrossFit Medicus page, um, there'll be a couple of months that'll, that'll come back and say, Hey, I've been listening to you. I lost 15 pounds. I've lost 20. I've lost 30, you know, and, and I used to keep a list. I had a list of them and I had probably 15, 20 names on it over the last few years that I really had hooked really tightly and was reeling them in. But the, the way of the world is that it, it, without the constant supervision and the constant community and this is what I talked about on um, on the the best hour of their day podcast is the community is so important and and being held accountable and me seeing someone even every three months is not enough to hold them accountable they have to get in the community of like-minded people and see the examples every day to to not fall off the wagon yeah I think like so we you know we can make recommendations but the community is where the habits are formed yeah. So that's really kind of how these things become, you know, everyday, right. you know, things exactly. for people. It's, it's tough without, without the community and being around people who are trying to do the same thing almost on a daily basis. I don't think it works um, very well. I'm just, I'm real pessimistic in a way now about that. And, the, you know, I, I still talk to every patient and I plug away, but, and I'm sure I save onesies, twosies here and there, but we're not going to change America by me doing what I'm doing and every other doctor doing what I'm doing. It, we're going to change America through CrossFit. <laughs> you know, it's going to have to keep growing and people realize the community aspect of it is what saves people and being held accountable by your friends. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just simple as that. Yeah, I think nothing could be further. Uh... Honestly, what happened with me was that when I first started, I moved to Indiana and I knew, I knew nobody. And I thought, what do I do on the weekend? Well, I would go out and um, I would, you know, just drink or do whatever and try and find people that wanted to go out and have fun. And then when I started doing CrossFit, I noticed, oh, hey, people are going to the gym on Saturday morning, getting after it. You know, they're not all hungover and just uh, destroying themselves. And that holds you accountable there. You would rather show up to the gym to work hard and compete against your buddies than to go out and destroy your body on a Friday night. And that in and of itself is a huge thing. Well, you, you've heard the old adage, you are the average of your five closest friends. And if your five closest friends are all morbidly obese and like to go drink beers on the weekend and, 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 uh, and sit around on the couch and watch TV, you're probably not the healthiest person in the world. Um, you know, my my five closest friends kick my ass in the gym every day. You know, I'm working out against Ken and Jeff, who are uh, both older than me and, and are like diesel engines from a uh, metabolic standpoint, de- uh, workout standpoint. I'm chasing them every day. Um, Tim, uh, Jeff Dixon, and, you know, uh, all the others that I work out with, Aaron, who's younger than us, I mean, we're all uh, a close-knit group, and we work out together. That's how we really got close, and, you know, we do stuff. We go out to eat together, and we do other stuff on the weekends together, but it all started, and it all still is focused and revolves around the gym. It's uh, our healthy habit group, and uh, there was a we stu- hold each other accountable. There was a study, it was a, kind of a big deal back in, oh, God, when I first started med school, Nicholas Christakis wrote this um, this has a huge study that he, he studied all this, these huge social networks. And essentially, you know, that the big finding was that, you know, essentially if you have obese friends, you'll be obese. You take on the habits of your, it seems like common sense, but at the time it was really kind of groundbreaking wow. in a sense. It was like cover of New England Journal. It was this big thing, but it's sort of common sense, you know, as far as, you know, how we, we see it. Yeah. yeah. So many things now, <clears throat> I feel like I'm on a different planet or, you know, we see things in a, from a different perspective now, and um, it's, it's hard for us, now that our eyes are open, not to see how, how wrong 
we've had it for the last 50, 60 years and how bad America's health is and the world's health for that matter. But the, this, this low fat, healthy grains recommendations, uh, cutting fat out of the diet, adding sugar. Um, I, I just saw, did y'all, um, do y'all ever watch Dr. Lustig's, um, uh, low carb, uh, talks or low sugar talks his fructose talks. He just gave one yeah. March 13th at the, uh, the Denver low carb, I think it was, or, or uh, it was right before the pandemic broke out. Cause he mentioned it. it was this March 13th, really good YouTube video that where he's kind of going back over and adding a different twist to how fructose is at the, is at the bottom of most of the really bad stuff that a high carb diet does to us. If you would eat glucose, your body doesn't respond to it the same way. So, you know, eating potatoes and, and cornmeal, cornstarch, and even though I don't eat those myself because I'm a little bit stricter on that, on that um, continuum, if we could just convince America to cut out the fructose, um, we would instantly be healthier. You know, eat your potatoes, eat your French fries, um, even with the fat on them. Just don't drink the Coke behind it. It's that fructose that really screws up the liver and screws up the liver's ability to metabolize all the other stuff and creates fatty liver disease, insulin resistance, which then creates this whole cascade that prevents you from metabolizing the glucose correctly. So if you could just get the fructose out of your diet, your body can handle a good amount of glucose um, fine, but uh, it's the fructose. It was a really good video if y'all look it up on YouTube. Also, before you talked about the triglyceride ratio, you're saying that you know you, the way you view cholesterol is different. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about that? And yeah, um, so of course we learned in med school, cholesterol, total cholesterol, is how you measure someone's cardiovascular health. If it's above 200 or whatever you want to draw the line at, then you're at higher risk. And it's all based on the Framingham study, which uh, and other studies at the same era. But if you go back and actually look at the data, the, the raw data, and every study that's been done since on cholesterol, um, it does not support that cholesterol is causative of all these diseases. It's definitely associated. Um, but when you parse out the true data and the NHANES data, the, the data they've been collecting on, I think, 10,000 Americans since 1980 or something like that, um, Dave Feldman, who is a um, a computer uh, programmer turned um, cholesterol researcher has found that there's only five, as of uh, six months ago, there's only five people left alive out of that original 10,000 who are over 100 years of age. All five of them have elevated cholesterol. They're all over 200 now, and they were all high at the initiation of the study when they were in their 60s. So, and they are not on any statins. Um, and all of the data on the elderly and cholesterol shows that as you age, the higher your total cholesterol, the longer you live. And it is a clear trend. And what is important and what is the risk factor is how you're managing your fuel, your fat, triglycerides. If you have a whole bunch of fuel backing up in your system, which is floating around as elevated triglycerides, you are not healthy. Your body is not processing the fuel correctly, and it's starting to overflow into your bloodstream. That's the only reason you should have high triglyceride, is if you just ate a huge fatty meal and someone checked your blood right there immediately, or you're metabolically sick and you're not processing that fuel correctly. Um, when you when you are metabolically healthy, processing the fuel collect correctly, your triglycerides get shunted out of your bloodstream very quickly and sent where they're supposed to be used for either burning immediately, if you're like me and are a, a fuel fat burner, or being stored in fat, whichever. Um, the triglycerides should clear out pretty quickly. Um, and if it builds up, you also see a concomitant drop in your healthy cholesterol, the HDL, and it's that ratio which is strongly linked to your cardiovascular risk and, and risk of insulin resistance and diabetes. Anything over two to two and a half is almost diagnostic of insulin resistance. I mean, you could pretty much bank on it. So if you take your triglyceride level and divide it by your HDL, if it's over two and a half, 
your fasting insulin is guaranteed to be high. And um, if it's one or certainly less, like mine's 0.5, which means my HDL is twice as high as my triglyceride when I'm fasting. If, if it's one or less, you're metabolically healthy. You process the fuel correctly. Your body eats, clears it out, puts it in the storage tank. You know, where everybody thinks that eating is supposed to be like, um, I don't even have a good example, but it'd be like a car without a gas tank. Um, or, 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 you know, you, you're driving around and every mile you go, you gotta, you gotta stop and fill the tube back up with gas, or you gotta have someone driving along beside you with a gas can feeding you gas every time you, you rev the engine. You know, that's not how our bodies work. We eat just like our cars eat. We fill up this big, huge fuel tank and then we drive for 500 miles and then we fill the tank up again. And that's the way we're, we eat. Our bodies are designed to process fuel in the fasting state. We store it when we're in the feeding state. We, of course, we burn a little bit of that while we're feeding, but the majority of the purpose of feeding is to replenish your stores of glycogen, of your fat. And um, it's not meant to be an all-day, five small meals a day thing. We're, that's not how we're designed to eat. We're designed to fill up the gas tank and then drive. And uh, if everybody would just cut out one meal out of their day, you'd see a drastic improvement in health probably uh, because it would take that, you know, go from the average three meals a day to two meals a day. That would give their bodies a chance to rest and not metabolize uh, and, and heal a little bit in between. There's so much data coming out, research now about the, the benefits of fasting. Um, that's really, and I just kind of committed through this, um, uh, this latest, um, COVID stuff and, and um, there's something else that happened. Oh, uh, I, I just, it's not been convenient because I've been waking up and going right into work. I haven't had the time to eat my normal little breakfast. I have a little, a little high fat protein bar with cream cheese on it. And, and I eat that on the way out the door. And I just quit doing that for the last two weeks. So I haven't been eating anything for breakfast and it's just been wonderful. I've just, I don't miss it at all. I realized it was more of a habit than anything. It was just giving me something to do as I drove to work. And I don't miss it at all now. And that just gives me, I'm excited because it gives me another six to eight hours in the fasted state. So my body is is not metabolizing anything, not creating reactive oxygen species and, and all the detrimental things that happen while you're burning fuel. Same thing in an engine. Your engine's being damaged when you're burning it, you know, when you're revving it. Uh, when you kind of put it on coast and, and just let it go without without pumping the gas, you know, you're saving your engine then. So that's kind of the way I look at the human body now. Tom, that's really interesting. And um, I'm, I've been a big fan of intermittent fasting for a long time. There was a really good article that came out and I think New England Journal of Medicine at the end of last year that goes through some recommendations that you can give for patients um, who want to try intermittent fasting. So for any physicians out there, definitely check that out. But Tom, one thing I wanted to mention was you had um, put out your labs lately, which I thought was really cool for everybody to look at. And one thing that caught my eye as a younger guy was how your testosterone level had increased um, as you got older. Can you talk a little bit about that, whether you think it's a diet for, and your training or a mix or what caused that? I think it's both. Um, definitely diet because although at the time that lab was taken, um, uh, the one that was used as, I think I was 38 at the time. So that was, uh, or was, was I older? I don't remember what the, the date on it was, but, but, um, you know, I was just starting the low carb, um, venture. Um, and I don't think I was as metabolically unhealthy as I was before then when I was a high carb, um, carbo loading triathlete, but I was a metabolically unhealthy. I had a uh, central, Never was fat, never was obese, never close, but I had this pooch in my midsection that a lot of, you know, and when you get into your 30s and 40s, guys start getting it. It's the dad bod. I had that. Um, and my labs, my triglyceride HDL ratio, I think if I remember from that slide, was 1.7. So I wasn't terribly sick, but I was creeping up to the two, two and a half. I know I would be there now if I hadn't changed. There's absolutely no doubt that I would have... Um, uh, be metabolically unhealthy now. But yeah, my testosterone was lower and I had this really interesting set of CTs 
because I used to get kidney stones because my diet sucked so much. You know, I used to drink Coke all the time. It's either Coke or tea, Coke or tea. Never drank water. And so I had tons of oxalate and a crappy diet anyway. And sugar makes uric acid when it's metabolized, the fructose component anyway. And so the uric acid was being excreted in my, in my urine. And that was probably forming nidus for crystallization. And so I had three kidney stone episodes over my life. And I've gotten a CAT scan each time. Uh, well, actually, two were from kidney stones. The other um, was when I actually had uh, seminoma. I, I don't know if y'all knew this about me either, but I had a pure seminoma in 2014. Um, uh, my right man's down. So, um, you know, so that that that's another good point, though. That, that testosterone, when I was 38, was uh, with both factories working. And... Um, at that time, I was a triathlete. I thought I was healthy. I was doing everything right. I was eating a low-carb, I mean, you know, I was eating a low-fat diet. I was carbo-loading. I was working out every day, either running, swimming, or biking almost, you know, one or two rest days a week, doing a lot of yoga. I was a healthy dude, I thought. But my CAT scan, if you look at the three scans from when I was um, 34, uh, 42, and then 48, which was uh, almost two years ago, um, you see a really interesting thing that my, my fat, my visceral fat and was more when I was younger and my muscles were smaller. So if you measure my muscle thickness when I was 34 and then you compare it to when I was 40, my muscle thickness got smaller because I had aged six years, right? Even though I was a triathlete, I was having age-related sarcopenia. My, my psoas muscle diameter was smaller. My rectus spinae muscles were smaller in diameter. My abdominal, my rectus abdominals muscle was, was a smaller thickness. My obliques were smaller. My psoas muscle was smaller. Everything was smaller between 34 and 42, I think is when I had that scan. My fat, however, got bigger from 34 to 42, I had less muscle, more fat. And that's what we see in everybody we take care of almost, you know, age-related sarcopenia and weight gain. You lose muscle, you gain fat. That's the natural progression in America now as you age. It's accepted as normal. You're actually looked at as abnormal if you're thin now. And so that was really interesting finding. But the real kicker is that from, from 42 to 48, which is the years I started CrossFit, my muscles exploded in size to where they were bigger than when I was 32. So now my muscles are the biggest they've ever been in my life, but the fat just disappeared. All my vis visceral fat, the fat even externally, the, um, the sub-Q fat uh, got thinner. So I went from, from a healthy, quote, healthy 32-year-old to a 42-year-old, a 34-year-old, to a 42-year-old who was heading down the typical metabolic syndrome American path to a CrossFitter and a low-carb CrossFitter at that. And, you know, it shows in my labs and all of my labs improved just about, including my testosterone. And I explained that just like I did to the patient, I did to the patient today, when you're metabolically unhealthy, your whole body is unhealthy and a huge part of your metabolism or your metabolic machinery involves testosterone. And when you're eating a low-fat diet, it just makes it worse because what is the precursor for testosterone production, guys? Cholesterol. cholesterol. We're, we're eating, we're eating low-fat, low-cholesterol. Take this statin to lower your cholesterol. What the freak do you think is going to happen to your testosterone when you're doing all this? You're your body is starving for cholesterol, the precursor to all our hormones. Cholesterol is in every cell in our body. You know, it, it makes up our cells. Why do we want to limit this vital, vital substance in our body? Because like the firefighter, it's at the scene of every fire. And, you know, the firefighters aren't starting the fire. They're there helping. And cholesterol is there helping in those plaques, trying to anyway. But... So that's how I explain it got better is my diet improved, my metabolic health improved, and I think a big part of it is, and I was having this discussion today, is it's the high-intensity weight-bearing exercise, which really has been proven time and again to stimulate testosterone production. And my testosterone now 
is higher than it was when I was 34 with only one testicle. You know, you know, TMI for everybody out there, but it's proof that you your testosterone your testosterone is linked to your health, just like everything else in your body. And if you are unhealthy, you're going to have a shitty testosterone. And uh, it, 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 it's not just like everything else. It's not because um, of your genes. Uh, nine times out of ten, it's because of what you're doing to your body or what you're not doing for your body, which is eating a healthy diet. So when you underwent this transformation in your 30s yeah. and so your 40s, you were a working physician at the time. Right. And... I imagine you must have met some resistance from your colleagues as to how you're eating, what you were recommending. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what, so what, can you describe sort of what those conversations were like and what, what you say to those people who are naysayers, even though you're leading by example. Exactly. Yeah. They see it. They see how I look, but they think it's just my genes. They, you know, they think it's, uh, it, it can't be what you're eating because we all know that you're not supposed to eat a high-fat, low-carb diet. But I sit across the lunch table from them, and they eat their desserts and their and their cornbread and their their rolls and and their chicken tetrazzini or whatever is on the the line that day and uh, the egg rolls and the rice and our doctor's cafeteria is. It's like a landmine for me trying to walk through there and find stuff that I can eat. And, you know, half the times I go through there, I end up eating just a salad with tuna fish on it and a bunch of boiled eggs, you know? Because I, I call it, oh, I see it's, a, it's carb day today again because everything on the line will be high carb. And there won't be, even the meat uh, will, will have some breading on it. And you, know, you cannot avoid carbs. Um, so I'll sit down across from them and they'll, they all know, you know, everybody who knows me <laughs> knows that I, the way I eat and what I advocate. I actually write it in my articles every time I write an article for the Medical Society. But uh, I think it was Max Planck um, who said that uh, old traditions don't go away by changing people's minds. They go away when those who believe the old way die. And... You know, the older physicians are so rooted in the old philosophy that they're just going to have to die before we get rid of that philosophy. And those of us who are young and understand uh, what's the truth are going to have to come up and take over. Um, but, you know, like I, I led, the, led the conversation maybe, I don't know if you were in it when I was talking to Matt about the doctor who took care of Jeff today, the... the, um, the uh, dermatologist who said, yeah, I read Tom's articles, but I just don't know about all that stuff. I don't, I don't believe in all that. You know, you know, how can, how can eating a high fat, low carb diet be healthy for you? It's just so ingrained. It's difficult. But on the flip side, there, there are some who have started eating like me and will come up and say, Hey, I've lost 15 pounds, you know? And I said, Oh really? What'd you do? I basically quit eating sugar. I was like, there you go. It works. I think the crazy thing is, too, for those of you that don't know, uh, Tom, Jeff, or Ken, whenever these guys come to town and we work out together, they always they always stick it to me in the workouts. But people always end up asking me, hey, what are those guys taking? Those guys are crazy. They're jacked, and they're so good at CrossFit. And, like, they've got to be taking something. And I, I just laugh because if you know these guys, they are the strictest on the diet. I mean, I saw Tom, I don't know for how long I hung out with him, and he never broke his diet one single time. I'd be sitting there crumbling in the face of uh, this adversity, and he would just be chilling, just eating eating his normal food. So there's something to say for performance people, as well with people, his diet. People, I think, um, probably assume that I take something. Uh, I haven't had anyone come out and point blank accuse me of it, but you know, they look at me as a 50-year-old um, who has 5% body fat, does CrossFit, and can snatch 205, hopefully 210 here very soon um, once we get to our, our max day cycle. Um, they look at me, you got to be taking something. And I have never in my life come close to testosterone other than me prescribing it and showing someone how to inject themselves, you know, or any other growth hormone or, um, you know, over-the-counter GNC product to boost testosterone. You don't need all that crap. You just need to eat healthy and exercise, and your body takes care of itself. It's, 
Yeah, that happens also as a as a woman with any kind of musculature. People automatically yeah. assume. I get a lot of shit from my coworkers about like, oh, taking those steroids today. You know, some. Yeah. And so it sort of brings us to you know the, the CrossFit Medicus one and sort of how, how you and Ken started it, and and sort of logistically, what does that look like? Because I'm sure there are a lot of physicians. I mean, myself included, who like would love to do something like that, but there are a lot of challenges, in getting the patients and finding a space and that mixture between a gym and a clinic and where does that line get drawn and logistically how do you order tests and things like that you know uh, i really admire uh, crossfit neuro down in australia where he has the crossfit box in his gym in his office where the patients coming in who can't walk because of their back pain are looking at prior people just like them doing you know fran uh, and he said i can get you there too yeah, I can get you there too. Um, that I would love to have that, but I, I don't at, at this point in my life and career. There's no way I can. I did this originally. I would bring certain patients and friends into our physical CrossFit SBC box, um, and I would be their trainer. I'd be their L1 trainer. I'd do it over in the corner out of the way, and then I'm legally covered training as well. But, um, and I can give advice in my office on how to do, you know, uh, proper squats. And, you know, I was showing someone in the OR, in the PACU, the, the, the recovery room the other day, a nurse was asking me, saying she can't do squats because her knees hurt. And I was like, well, let me see you do a squat. And, of course, first thing she does, her knees shoot straight forward and like five inches past her toes. And I was like, well, that's why your knees hurt. Let me show you how to do a squat. And right in the middle of the PACU with everybody watching us, we're sitting there doing squats. And, and, and I got her into a more natural, I pulled the drawer out of the, out of the cabinet there and, and I stood her about, um, about eight to 10 inches from the drawer. And I said, I want you to close that drawer with your butt before you bend your knees. And in order to do that, you have to initiate the proper motion to get into a squat, which is butt back and down. And uh, you know, once she did that and felt it, it was like, oh wow, okay. And, you know, she still had limited range of motion because she's got the typical frozen hips. But I said, now that you understand that, you need to start working on that every day, set you up a box to sit on or a bench or something to squat back onto. And using that same motion, start going back until you can sit onto that bench and then stand up. And then as you get comfortable doing that, start lowering the level and then just slowly do that. And I have another doctor friend who I got, he's 76, 78 years old. And uh, I got him doing um, the thing that Greg advocated with uh, Kathy Glassman, his sister. He, he said, just start with one squat a day and then add one every day. And, you know, I think she got a year or two into it before she even broke the cycle. I mean, she was doing three, four, five, I don't know how many hundred uh, squats um, each day by the time she broke it, if she even did by now. Surely she has, but... You know, and he said, I did 100 squats today, and this is a 78-year-old man who has a not perfect but pretty decent squat because I've instructed him in the surgeon's lounge. You know, So that's CrossFit Medicus 1. It's me teaching people how to do proper motions in the surgeon's lounge, in the recovery um, unit, and, and wherever else I can talk about CrossFit. I'm the typical, you get me talking, and I'm going to talk about CrossFit and how it can help. Do you have like actual patients though that you like are following their labs and stuff, or is it more kind of that's based in your your urology clinic? And do you do those worlds mix, or how does that? They mix. They they usually mix more, but I just haven't. I I don't bring patients, and and I'm not their personal trainer anymore, just because of time. Um, I, I'll encourage them to go to a CrossFit box and I'll tell them where I go. And I said, but there's others around. You can go, you can do it in your living room if you want. And I give them the CrossFit website and say, look up the daily, the daily, um, workouts and start reading about the motions. If you have questions, ask me. But, um, as far as CrossFit Medicus one being the one that's following the patient's labs and all no, I just do it all through my normal practice. Um, although I can through CrossFit Medicus One, we have a an agreement with one of the labs, LabCorp, where I have an account with Ken and I both do through CrossFit Medicus One, and you know we can order labs from CrossFit Medicus One if we want. But I just do it in my office. the uh, The name CrossFit Medicus One is just so I can teach CrossFit uh, legally, 
you know, and, and be a, an L1 um, affiliate owner, I can teach CrossFit. So it's not a moneymaker for sure. Yeah, it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love and a love, a love for for helping people get fit. And um, I don't know if y'all saw the latest Facebook thing on my page, but I posted the data of COVID and uh, stressed how it's the morbidly obese who it's really uh, targeting is at risk. And this should be a wake up call for everybody to start reevaluating their their lifestyle decisions and and let's get fit and. Uh, someone I know and, you know, was friends with, uh, lived across the street. She's talking about, um, you know, your tone about it's only fat people dying, so we shouldn't worry about it. And who cares about if fat people die? You know, that's what she got out of my message. And I, I even reread my message looking for somewhere where I said, you fat people are dying, I don't care. But I just didn't say it anywhere. I, sa I said, this virus is, is targeting obese people, we need to readdress uh, our health in this country so we're not targets anymore for COVID-19. And uh, that message is just not well taken by people who don't want to hear it. It's just like telling an alcoholic you need to quit drinking. They're going to come at you with all they got, you know, and, and people who are obese are very sensitive to it and are very defensive at baseline. They know they're obese and they feel bad about it. You don't have to make them feel bad about it. They feel bad about it. And I'm conscious of that. And I never tell someone, you're fat, you need to lose weight. I say, I want to help you get healthy. And as you get healthy, you're naturally going to lose weight. But we need to address the diet and the, and the, and the lifestyle choices first. You know, the obesity is just a, a sign of, of an unhealthy um, lifestyle. It, it's not, it's not a something that makes you a bad person or the cause of your medical problems. It is one of the things that comes along with a more global, uh, metabolically unhealthy lifestyle. But it's, 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 it's like tiptoeing through a, a, a landmine field sometimes. I mean, it's hard. Very passionate. Hard to, to get the message across, right, without coming off as offensive to some people. But I think, you know, the way you're doing it is right. And, um, and Tom, I've definitely enjoyed listening to you on a lot of podcasts lately. Uh, you've definitely been getting the message out there. I'm waiting for you to drop a book, though. <laughs> but, um, hey, so wrapping up here, um, you know, is there anything else that you guys wanted to add to the conversation? I think this flowed really nicely. It was really good. Uh, that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, just um, cut out the processed foods. That's, that's my message to America. If it comes in a cellophane wrapper, a bag, or a box, it, it's probably not healthy for you. Um, just eat whole natural foods and get out and move and exercise. That's, that's all you got to do. Awesome, guys. So you can follow up with Tom um, at CrossFit Medicus on Instagram. Um, also, we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Remember, if you are interested in being on the podcast or have any topic you want to cover, feel free to uh, email us at docsinthebox2017 at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at docsinthebox. Thanks, guys.